Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Lindsay, my my wife, my beautiful bride, loves to leave the doors open. Any door, door to the backyard, door to the front yard, door to the carport, she just likes to leave the doors open. Uh, There's only two sources of conflict in our marriage, only two. It's a perfect marriage otherwise because she married me. And there's only two sources of conflict. One is the doors and the other is the temperature on the thermostat, okay? So she likes to leave the doors open. She'll tell you she does it. She likes to let the house breathe, she says. And with four, four boys in her house, I understand that. Likes to let the house breathe. She likes to let the breeze in. She likes to hear the birds chirping outside. And <clears throat> she wants the boys to go outside and play. And she wants to be able to hear them as they're going in and out. But the breeze messes with the thermostat, you know? And uh, when she leaves the door open, it's like she's inviting mosquitoes and flies to just come take up residence in our home, you know? And it's not just bugs. The other day, the other day there was a chipmunk in our kitchen. I'm all for chipmunks, just not in my kitchen, Yeah. And then two days ago, two days ago, I come downstairs, and there's a chocolate lab in my living room. He's a sweet dog. He wasn't my dog. I don't know whose dog he was. He just left when I came down. He was in my, in my living room. And then a few days ago, I kid you not, we were having a little work done on the house, and all of a sudden, Lindsay hears uh, Miss Lindsay. This is from our contractor, Miss Lindsay. I think there's somebody in your house. She comes running around the corner, and who do you think is in my house? I'll give you three guesses. You probably don't even need three guesses. Yeah, Dan Massey. Dan Massey's just in my house. Dan Massey's one of our elders, uh, former elders, long-time members of this church. Just just in my house, Dan Massey. And this was a real I told you so moment. Lindsay, this is why we keep the doors closed. We got to keep the riffraff out of here. Dan made up for it two days later. Connie made us a chocolate pie and brought us dinner. So he, he made up for it. So here's the thing. In our disagreement about whether or not to leave the doors open, what we don't lose sight of in the Gentry home is that those doors are attached to a house that we are so thankful to live in. You know, this house that we're raising our kids in, that we're sharing all these memories in, this place where we come in from the cold and cuddle up together. I mean, we're so thankful that those doors are attached to this house that's a blessing. And it's easy to, get, to kind of get lost when you're squabbling over whether the doors should be open or closed, that the house those doors are attached to is a real gift. Okay. I want to grab that image of a house with doors either set open or closed to help us think about the Word of God, the Word of God that we find in Scripture, and also the Word of God that is Jesus Christ, the Word of God with a capital W. So one of my jobs as minister is to help you all read scripture better. It's one of my jobs. Now, um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about a friend who a few, a few days ago told me, he said, Eric, you've got the best job in the world. You just get to sit and read your Bible all day long. Well, I wish. 
I, I just got to sit and read my Bible all day long. But I appreciated that more than the, the response I usually get, which is you only work on Sundays. So um, somewhere, my job is somewhere in between those two extremes. But yeah, part of my job is to help us read scripture better. So what I want to do today to help us as we look at the word of God, to try to understand the word of God better, I want you to think about your home, your house, your apartment, the place where you live. Just think about the walls of that place, the roof that's over your head, how it's keeping you warm during these cold months, probably maybe where you raised your family or where you have friends over, share meals together, where you watch Netflix at night. Okay, it's this special place. It's your home. I want you to think about your home as we read scripture. We're continuing our good news series today, and we're in the gospel of Mark, starting in verse 23. This is Mark chapter 2, start in verse 23. Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath. And as the disciples made their way, they were picking the heads of wheat. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the Sabbath law? And he said to them, haven't you ever read what David did when he was in need? When he and those with him were hungry? And, and, you know, for the record, David is longtime king of Israel. Part Jesus is from the line of David. Okay, when you appeal to David, this is a significant trump card. Look what David did. Okay, so look what David did. When he and those with him were hungry. During the time when Abiathar was high priest, David went into God's house and he ate the bread of the presence, which only the priests were allowed to eat. And he also gave bread to those who were with him. And then he said, the Sabbath was created for humans Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. This is why the human one, or the Son of Man, is Lord even over the Sabbath. And Jesus returned to the synagogue, and a man with a withered hand was there. So wanting to bring charges against Jesus, they were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And he said to the man with the withered hand, step up where the people can see you. And then he said to them, everybody who's watching, is it legal on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill. But they said nothing. And looking around at them with anger, deeply grieved at their unyielding hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he did, and his hand was made healthy. And at that, the Pharisees got together with the supporters of Herod to plan how to destroy Jesus. Jesus appeals here to this old story from 1 Samuel 21 of King David, who I just told you about, going into God's house when, in this moment when his followers are in need. He goes into God's house and he props the door open to ensure that those who are with him have their needs met. Okay, what I think Jesus is doing in this passage is he is walking into the home of these religious folks. He's walking into the house they live in. He's walking into the place where they're raising their kids, the house they've grown up in, the house their grandparents lived in before them. He is walking into this house that they have lived in all of their lives, and he is propping the door open. And they don't like it. They don't like it. So what's this house, what's this house made out of? Well, there's some clues in the passage. You have multiple times we see the word law. You see that? You have this question about what's legal, which is a question about the law. 
You have the, the term Sabbath repeated frequently. And then you have this question from Jesus, haven't you ever read? Haven't you ever read? So when Jesus is talking about the law, when he's talking about Sabbath, when he's asking these people, haven't you ever read? What source is he talking about? He's talking about scripture, right? He's talking about the Bible. That's what Jesus would have known the Bible as is the law. And specifically, when he's talking about Sabbath, he's talking about something bigger than Sabbath. He's talking about scripture on the whole because Sabbath is instituted in scripture. So according to scripture, there's 39 kinds of work, 39 kinds of work that you can't do on Sabbath. Picking grain is one of the things you can't do on Sabbath. Um, healing somebody is actually kind of a gray area in terms of Sabbath work. You can heal somebody if their life is actually in danger. If their life's not in danger, worry about it on Monday, okay? And so notice that Jesus heals this man's hand, and what does he interpret that healing as? Giving life, giving life. So there's a reason Jesus interprets it in that way, because he's in this gray space about Sabbath observance, and that is healing somebody on the Sabbath. Is this okay to do or not? We know picking grain's not okay to do, but is healing somebody, is that okay to do? So what Jesus does is respond to a question that they're asking, which is, how are you going to treat Sabbath? And how you treat Sabbath, Jesus, is a good indicator to us of what you think about Scripture, which is important to us because Scripture is the house that we're living in. And it's a good house to live in. I got a call from a, a young woman a few years ago. She had grown up in this church. She had been baptized in this church and the waters behind me. And uh, she was a strong believer when she was part of our youth group. She was active here. She, she goes off to college. and She begins in college an intellectual journey. She begins to be exposed to things she'd never heard before. She begins to discover things she'd never seen before. And the conclusion of all these intellectual wonderings, this intellectual journey, is that she loses her faith. She can just no longer believe the things she's been taught her whole life that come from this book, and she loses her faith. And years before, she had called me to kind of describe this to me, and it was not celebratory. She was not happy to have lost her faith. To her, this was a sincere and deep sorrow. I remember her describing it. She said, it feels like my house is falling in around me. It feels like my house is falling in around me. So what do you do at that moment? You start to rebuild. Because everybody needs a house to live in. Uh, what we often call the house that we live in, uh, what we often call it is our worldview, so the way that we see and interpret the world around us. But what's really important when we're talking about our worldviews is to remember that worldview also implies you are standing somewhere looking out on the rest of the world. So it, it, attached to our worldview is the place that we reside. Okay, the, the, the structures around us that give shape and meaning to our life, the windows through which we look out and view the rest of the world are attached to a house, and that house has given us framework and structure and meaning in the rest of our lives. And so she begins to rebuild her house. And just because she doesn't have the Bible and Jesus and God and a faith community anymore doesn't mean there are no building blocks available to her. Uh, she starts reading a lot of, you know, like Mark Twain and stuff like that and writing down important, meaningful quotes that people like that said. And so she kind of, she's constructing in some ways her own Bible 
based on popular things that people have tweeted or posted or written over time. And she tries to be a good person. Kindness is one of her virtues. She even volunteers some. But you know when she calls me a couple years ago for that second time? It was when a tragedy struck her family. And it was this inescapable tragedy that was looming large on the horizon. And suddenly what she realized in that moment was that this new house she had built could not stand up to this storm. It was beginning to crumble apart. I know you know the story of the three little pigs. You know the story of the three little pigs? You know, we got three little pigs. One builds his house out of straw and one out of sticks and one out of brick. And then the big bad wolf comes and he huffs and puffs to blow that house down. And only one of the houses stays standing, right? I mean, you know this story. Jesus tells the three little pigs story. You remember how he tells it? He said, you can build your house in two places. You can build your house on the sand or you can build your house on rock. And, you know, everybody wants an oceanfront view. Everybody wants that. I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. I'll sell you, right? Like every country music illusion, no laughs. It's painful, painful. Everybody wants an oceanfront view, but what Jesus says is a storm is eventually going to come. And when the storm comes, sand and storms don't mix. You're going to wish that you had built on the rock here, right? So she calls me, this young woman. And she begins to explain to me that this house, this house that she had built her life on, before, that it had come apart as part of this kind of intellectual journey that she was on. She had abandoned it. She had left it behind. She had built this new house because she felt like this house was a burden, that it was old, it was dated, it was no longer made sense. It, made, it, was, it was written by people who were living in a fantasy world, and this, this house just couldn't stand, okay? But what she discovered was the house she built was the one that couldn't stand, and she began to see this house a little bit differently. She began to look back on all the people of faith that she'd known at this church who had built their lives on this house. And she began to see all the storms in their lives that this house had stayed standing through. And she began to wonder if maybe this house wasn't a burden. Maybe this house was a gift. Maybe it was a gift. And so that's what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says in Mark 2.27. He says this. The Sabbath was created for humans. It was a gift. Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for humans. Now he says Sabbath, but we know he's talking about all of Scripture. Can't the same thing be said about all of Scripture? That this is a gift? And I mean, pay attention to what he says right there. He doesn't say Sabbath. Oh, the Sabbath. Y'all are so lame. You're so lame for keeping the Sabbath. It's such an old thing. It's from this old dated book. So old. Nobody's doing that anymore. Y'all are so lame for keeping the Sabbath. That is not what he says. He says the Sabbath is a gift. It was made for you. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's a bad reading of passages like this one here in Mark 2 and Mark 3 about Jesus' interaction with the Sabbath that has caused many of us for, you know, this, this goes back hundreds of years in the Christian tradition, but it's a bad reading of passages like this that have caused so many of us to totally jettison and abandon the idea of Sabbath. We just kind of let that go. But that is not the point Jesus is making. You know, Jesus breaks Sabbath in these two cases to give life to people who are in desperate need. That's why he breaks Sabbath. 
He is not saying Sabbath is a burden. He's saying there are these moments when we got to prioritize people, but Sabbath is a gift. I mean, how many of us would say that our lives are better since we stopped resting? How many of us would say, my life is better because I wake up and the first thing I do in the morning is I check my work email. I check my work email while I'm driving to work. I check my work email while I'm at work. And the first thing I do or last thing I do before I go to sleep at night is what? Check my email. (laughs) How many of us would say our lives are better because we spend our whole weekends driving our kids to their sporting events all over? How many of us would say that our lives are better because we're working on Sunday afternoon as we're driving home from church? None of us would say that. And then we begin to think differently about Sabbath, right? You know, maybe this thing that feels burdensome, oh, you're going to spend a day of your week not doing anything for God's sake. That does sound so burdensome. And we get to this point where our lives are so frenetic, so busy. Uh, There's all kinds of statistics that American people are the most depressed, the most anxious of any people in the world. And we look at that and we think, man, maybe God was doing something right with the whole Sabbath thing. Maybe that was a gift. And maybe we could say the same about all of Scripture, the place in which we read about Sabbath. Maybe this thing that feels burdensome is actually a gift. Uh, let's, let's take another example. So Jesus uses the example of Sabbath. Let's, let's talk about another contemporary example. Because I think most people, including many Christians, don't actually think the biblical house is a house you can live in today. And I think one of those examples is sexuality. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, we we live in a world um, that submits to us different sexual ethics, sexual identity markers, than those you find in scripture. And I think we are tempted, most of us, especially young people, to look at this book and to see what it has to say about sex, which turns out is a lot. Sex is one of the most frequently discussed topics in scripture. So it turns out the word of God has a lot to say about that. And it's tempting for us to look at it and say, oh, that stuff. I mean, like I like a lot of the stuff in here about love and like being nice But the stuff about sex, I mean, that's a little dated. It sounds a little, you know, like 1950s. It's all the stuff about a man and a woman being united to one another, that sex takes place within that kind of covenant relationship. I mean, it just sounds kind of like 1950s or even older. It sounds like, you know, like Puritan America, uh, Scarlet Letter, all that kind of stuff. That's just dated. I got a call a few months ago from a friend of mine. He's he's kind of seriously dating. And he said, said, you know, know, Eric, I'm really... I'm really thinking, I'm, I'm just not so sure about, you know, the sexual ethics of Scripture. I just, you know, I'm just, I don't have a lot of clarity about that. I'm kind of unsure about that. And I said, that's a really convenient thing to be unsure about right now. You know, that's a really convenient thing to not, not be so sure about. <clears throat> you know what's given me clarity about the sexual world that Scripture builds for us, the house it builds for us to live in? <clears throat> This is one of the, um, you know, like the, the hazards of ministry. I think our elders or other ministers can attest to this. What is confirmed for me that maybe these sexual ethics, these sexual identity markers in Scripture are a gift and not a burden is all of the families and people I have walked along who have been absolutely destroyed by sexual sin. I mean, I think about the young man who was dry heaving on my office floor as he thought about what he had done sexually. 
couldn't even pull himself off the floor. I think about the women who've been in my office who can't look me in the eyes because they're so damaged by their sexual decisions. I think about all of the couples, and I have lost count of how many couples who have been absolutely destroyed by sexual sin. Okay, well, then if you walk alongside that long enough, you begin to think, okay, maybe the sexual world that the Bible draws for us or constructs for us is not such a burden after all. Maybe it's actually good for us. You know, maybe it is a house I should live in. Jesus does not say, get rid of this house. (laughs) You know, he doesn't walk into the house that the Pharisees and these religious people are living in and say, let's burn this thing down. He doesn't do that. He just walks into that house, that good house, and he props the door open. Jesus wants to ensure that other people can get into this good house. And if the house, if the doors on this house are closed, then I think Jesus would say that Scripture is not functioning for us as he designed it to, or as he intended it to. Uh, I visited Russ and Amy Terman the other night. They, they kept our kids for a while, and so went to pick up the kids. And I noticed on Russ and Amy's inside wall, just inside the front door, they've got their house rules, the Terman house rules, okay, on the wall. And I really like that. So what I want you to imagine is that Jesus walks into this house, this biblical house that these good religious people are, are living in. He doesn't burn the thing down. What he walks in and does is prop the door open and then to begin to write on the wall, these are the two house rules for reading scripture. Okay. These are the two house rules. And the reason I, I wanted to share this is because one, I think this is what this passage is talking about. And two, I hope that in this year, you in 2021, you will turn to scripture maybe like you never have before. Uh, one of our elders I know reads the Bible through every year, and he's been doing it for something like 10 years. He's just always reading the Bible straight through. And maybe this year is the year you're going to do that. A lot, a lot of people like to do that in the new year. They make that a resolution. And whether you do that or not, let me challenge you to allow 2021 to be a year that is shaped and formed by the biblical house. Maybe you're watching with us online. You just stumbled upon this. And, um, you know, the house that you're living in, It's having trouble standing up to all the the difficulties that 2020 has thrown at us. Let me invite you into this house. But let me show you, these are the house rules according to Jesus. These are the rules that Jesus writes on the walls of our scriptural house. This is the first. Jesus is Lord of this house. This is what he means when he says the human one is Lord even over the Sabbath. Um, just a few minutes ago, somebody was telling me about a new Disney special that's out. It's a Christmas special in which they sing in this, in this Christmas special, Joy to the World, okay? But somehow they managed to leave out the Lord has come. They just leave that out, okay? Jesus leads with that. The Lord has come into this house. Jesus is Lord of this house, and that's the first rule. And what we mean by that is when we read Scripture, whether we're reading Genesis or Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Mark or uh, 1 Peter, we read Scripture through the lens of Jesus, okay? If what we're reading doesn't measure up to the standard of Jesus, it's not Scripture that's wrong. It's probably us that's wrong, okay? We read Scripture through the lens of Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is a really helpful tool or rule to apply to make sense of really difficult Old Testament passages. 
What we would say about those who wrote the Old Testament is that they knew God in part. When Jesus comes, we see God face to face. That's what he says. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when Jesus comes, we see God more fully, and Scripture reflects that. So one of the first rules, or the first rule, is that Jesus is Lord of this house. Now, a good indicator of whether Jesus is Lord of my house is whether people can get into this house or not whether the doors are open. If the scriptural house I'm living in has doors that are closed, okay, then it's probably not the right house. Okay, that's like living in a house of sticks and thinking you're living in a house of bricks. Okay. We want to live in the house Jesus is constructing that is a scriptural house, but the first rule of living in that house is that Jesus is Lord of the house. Here's the second rule, second rule. This house gives life to those in need. I don't want you to miss what Jesus does in this passage, both when he appeals to the David story, when David feeds his hungry followers, and when he heals the man with the wounded hand. He interprets both of those with this line. Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What he's doing is he's framing his action of helping people who are in distress, helping people who are in need. And, and let me point out, none of David's followers and this man with the shriveled hand were not like on death's doorstep, okay? So he has a more expansive view of what it means to give people life than just saving somebody who's in a hospital bed, okay? Whenever someone is in distress, one of the markers or indicators that I'm living in God's house, living in this scriptural house that God wants me to live in, this good house, is do I open the door to give those in need help? This house gives life to those in need. Because what do we believe about scripture? We believe this is a gift for humans, just like Sabbath. This is a gift for us. Which, which does not mean it's a gift for you and me exclusively. It means it's a gift for everybody. Let me ask you. Have you shared with anybody recently how big of a gift this is? Have you? I mean, I, I, frankly, I mean, this isn't in my notes. I think, frankly, I've got a few extra minutes. I think, frankly, many of us are embarrassed of the house we live in. I mean, I think the marker of that is how often we share an invitation to come inside this house. I mean, when was the last time you sat down with somebody at work and you said, would you be interested in reading the Gospel of Mark with me? Uh, when was the last time somebody at work came up to you, like my friend did, and said, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what to do sexually in this situation. You said, well, actually, like, Scripture talks about that. You want to look at it with me? Uh, when was the last time somebody came to you... Um, wondering what they should do with their money, with their investments. Maybe some of you in the accounting industry, finance industry, when was the last time somebody came to you with that and you said, oh, you want to know who talks a lot about money? Jesus does. <laughs> Would you be interested in looking at any of that with me? No, I think so many of us are ashamed of the house that we live in, but it's such a good house. I mean, show me. Show me any other community on earth that has lasted this long, except the Judeo-Christian community. 
Why is that? Well, it's because the house we live in is built on the rock. <laughs> you know, every other house that this world offers you, that it invites you into, that it offers to build around you will fall. But this house has stayed standing. And that's what that young woman realized when she called me up. She started looking at all these heroes of faith from her childhood who were still heroes of faith despite losing people they loved, despite going through all of these difficulties. And she realized apparently that house is built on something solid. <laughs> Apparently, this is a gift, and we're not supposed to be ashamed of our gifts, right? I mean, you remember when you were in school and you come back from Christmas holiday? What's the first thing you say? You're not going to believe what Santa brought me. You're not going to believe what my mom and dad got me. Oh, my goodness. You share the gift if it's a gift. Church, let me, let me share something with you here. <clears throat> Uh, this, this is a little personal, and then uh, make it about you first, I'm making it about me. I'm not going to apologize for preaching from the Word of God. And um, sometimes I get pressure to preach about what's ever in the news. And I, one of the important like, theologians in my life talked about how you, you read uh, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another. And I think there's an important truth to that. But the newspaper does not trump the Bible. The Bible trumps the newspaper. Okay, And so when I preach, I'm going to preach from the Word of God, and I'm not going to apologize that. And this is why. It's because at this place, we believe the Bible is the right house to live in. And we're going to call each other to submit to the Bible. Okay, if we are living outside of the house that the Bible constructs for us, we're going to call each other to come back inside. But here's the thing, to do that, we got to keep the doors open. To invite other people into this house, you better believe we're going to keep the doors open. So whoever you are, I don't care, whoever you are, you are welcome here because the doors are open. And here's the thing. We think once you come into this house, you're going to find it's a good place to live. That it's the best place to live. You know, the Christmas story, the Christmas story starts with doors closed. You remember that? Mary and Joseph can't find any place to stay to have this child. Every door they come to is closed. I mean, is it any surprise that Jesus' life, death, resurrection, that his ministry is about opening doors? This is a gift, and it's a gift for people. And so we're going to live in this house, and we're going to keep the doors open. We're going to keep them open.